Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to episode 35 of District of Conservation. As always, we are grateful to Real Camel Girl for sponsoring this series. They are a great online platform for women who love the great outdoors. To learn more about them, go to www.realcamelgirl.com. Last week on social media, I announced that I became a finalist for the Professional Outdoor Media Association's 2019 Pinnacle Awards. I entered some pieces into both the newspaper online magazine categories and wildlife conservation categories. I belong to this organization. I joined about seven, eight months ago and just randomly submitted my pieces just to see what happens. And I was told by the lady who told me I was a finalist that it's quite unprecedented for someone who's new to be awarded or nominated for for such. So it's a high honor. I'm very thrilled to have that nomination come in. I have no idea what will happen, whether I will be a category winner or an outstanding achievement recipient. But that remains to be seen, and I will find out in Wichita, Kansas, at the business conference next month what the status of that is. So thank you guys for supporting all my articles over the years, especially recently with all these outdoor pieces that I've been doing. I still do a lot of political commentary, but I'm not going to bore you with that. And you can find that on Twitter. But this journey into outdoor writing has been nothing short of amazing. I will now discuss two very interesting, important updates sportsmen should care about from the past week. Here we go. The first story relates to the Supreme Court case that was just decided on Herrera versus Wyoming, and it relates to wildlife conservation and poaching and Indian tribal hunting rights. And surprisingly, but not surprisingly, uh, one conservative justice, actually that being Neil Gorsuch, sided with the court's liberal Supreme Court justices in ruling in favor of the plaintiff, Herrera. And Herrera, whose full name is Clavin Herrera, he is a member of the Crow tribe in Wyoming, and he previously was a game warden. And the state of Wyoming pursued a case against him, obviously, because he killed a bull elk out of season without a license in January 2014. He filed a complaint saying that because he belongs to this tribe, the Crow tribe, and the fact that there was a treaty established in 1868, well before the state of Wyoming was incorporated into the United States, him belonging to the tribe meant that uh, rules did not apply to him or Wyoming's wildlife rules do not apply to him. And there is a longstanding debate over whether or not these Native American treaties are independent of wildlife law. And there's a lot of discussion and debate that arises from this between sportsmen, understandably, because a lot of people think, can you give preference to a group of people because they have this treaty that supersedes establishment of law? And then others say, well, there is they have the right to hunt independent of state law because this treaty established precedent to do so. So it, it, it causes a lot of 
discussion and debate in sportsmen. Although we don't really don't see it as a contentious issue, much like the debate over grizzly bears or multiple use public lands. And here's what the opinion from the Supreme Court justices read. In 1868 treaty between the United States and the Crow tribe promised that in exchange for most of the tribe's territory in modern day Montana and Wyoming, its members would quote, have the right to hunt on the unoccupied lands of the United States. So long as the game may be found thereon and peace subsists on the borders of the hunting districts End quote. And the contention is whether, whether or not Herrera was hunting on unoccupied lands or not. That being the Bighorn national Forest in Wyoming. And Meat Eater actually first alerted me to this. I I get their su- email subscription. I, I get the updates from their media website. And they had the first inkling of this. I'd never heard of this until I read this piece a few months ago. And they talk about exactly how this relationship is between tribes and state wildlife agencies. And it goes like this. So most native tribes allow and regulate hunting by their members within the borders of their respective reservations. Treaties between tribes and the United States often included similar language to that of the Crow, guaranteeing the right to hunt on other quote unoccupied lands End quote. Indeed, many tribes already exercise those off reservation hunting rights through agreements with state wildlife management agencies. Wyoming is the only Western state in which that does not occur. The article also included uh, amicus briefs filed by the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies in support of the state of Wyoming against Herrera, and it read something like this. If the court reverses the judgment of the court below, Wyoming's and other states' long-recognized authority to regulate the use of resident wildlife could be instantly curtailed, with highly uncertain results for tribal and non-tribal beneficiaries, as well as state and federal managers of natural resources, the amicus brief said. It proceeded to say... Management of wildlife resources held in trust by the states on one hand and federal lands on the other is a delicate dance even without the surprise of off-reservation treaty rights long understood by game managers to be extinguished. What are your thoughts on this? I'm curious to know because there could be some implications that do arise out of this court case. It's another question whether or not this is going to go to a lower court, uh, if other groups are going to ask for exemptions, or if we're going to see more treaties adhered to in terms of hunting rights. So weigh in and and let me know what you think about that, especially if you're affected by this. The second update I wanted to talk about comes from the Department of Interior announcing that they're going to shed light on frivolous lawsuits and the fees associated with it anytime environmental groups, radical environmental groups especially, try to sue agencies like the Department of Interior, especially those who were suing the current administration's interior department. And they used to do this under past Republican administrations too, if I'm not mistaken. And from the Congressional Western Caucus, this is a memorandum that was issued by the Department of Interior in which Principal Deputy Solicitor of DOI, Daniel Giorgiani, uh, issued a memorandum requiring the creation of a publicly accessible litigation webpage to track and disclose important information in relation to attorney's fees and costs paid as a result of consent decrees and settlement payments entered into on behalf of the Department of Interior. So basically, it'll list the case name and citation, associated fees and costs are paid from any source, including money paid pursuant to the Equal Justice Equal Access to Justice Act, 
or from a judgment fund uh, the total amount of attorney's fees and costs paid and the names of the parties to whom the payment is made. And it's consistent with Secretarial Order 3368 that was issued in September of last year, which directed the solicitor to take steps to inform the American public of department litigation costs associated with settlement agreements and consent decrees. If that is over your head, don't feel alone. I feel the same thing. Uh, A lot of legalese there. But essentially what this will do is shed light on citizen suits uh, that environmental agencies file. These are groups like Earth Justice, the Center for Biological Diversity, and others, especially of late, um, to sue, and they and they rely on the courts, especially judicial activism, to legislate from the bench, especially as it relates to the Endangered Species Act, the Cleaner Act, and the Clean Water Act. And a lot of these lawsuits can be seen as frivolous, and it's understandable, and it, it should be seen that way, because a lot of the times you see laws being enacted, not so much based on science, but the fact that these environmental groups can use the courts uh, to make decisions that are best left to the states and other local stakeholders, especially the rightful place. And these groups rake in so much millions of dollars in taxpayer money um, as a result of these lawsuits. And I, a good resource on this is from the Daily Signal. And they list out all of the caveats that relate to this and, and what this effort will do. And I think transparency is super important because you have a lot of interests, especially environmental interests, preservationist interests, trying to sue their way into dic- um, creating policy. And that's not what what is part of the separation of powers, um, according to different entities across the legislative, executive and judicial branch and a lot of the decision-making powers for conservation policy should rest in the state. Although they, they uh, although they are in concert with the federal government, they, they look to the federal government for direction, um, but they, they're given more so free reign to handle matters as it relates to, let's say grizzly bear management or gray wolf management. And I think this should be something good and hopefully it'll shed light on the frivolous lawsuits that these groups rely on to, Uh, dictate public policy to shape public opinion and really do a disservice to conservation efforts in this country thank you for listening to today's episode if you dropped off and are returning i appreciate you listening if you're a regular listener thank you again for listening and downloading i appreciate every review that comes in and if you haven't already left a review please do that today I've been told by my peers and plenty others that they enjoy hearing someone who is politically conservative like me talking about these issues, offering some sincerity and thoughtfulness to it and adding a conservative take without being explicitly political. So if you like that, share that. We will need more people to get on board these issues and and care about that from a legislative standpoint, from a public policy standpoint, and a cultural standpoint. I also wanted to mention that I am on today's episode of Worth Your Time with Erica Anderson-Sylvester. She is a person I look up to very much in politics. I've known her across the years, and I talk about the podcast, kind of why I'm a conservative wading into the conservation issues and wildlife conservation issues. So you can listen to that if you Google and type in Worth Your Time. You can listen to that on iTunes and Google Play and other supporting platforms as well. To 
listen to District of Conservation, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and other supporting platforms. Our home base is anchor.fm as well. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat, to hear when our new guests are coming on, to see what we're doing, and just to keep up with what's happening in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding areas. Thank you for listening. I sincerely appreciate it, and I hope you guys have a good week and had a good end to the spring hunting season wherever you may be.